Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all, Canada's most irreverent talk show here, The Andrew Lawton Show, coming to you live from London in the wonderful country of the United Kingdom, a city I've had the good pleasure of coming to on a couple of occasions and have uh, never quite seen as much in the way of freedom-loving people in it all at one time anyway as I have this week. That is because if you've been following along with the show, you'll well know I've been here for the ARC Forum the first ever forum of the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, an organization in part led by Jordan Peterson, by Canadian Conservative MP Leslie Lewis, by uh, folks like Michael Schellenberger and uh, Baroness Stroud, Philippa Stroud, who has uh, been very prominent in the speaking lineup. I felt bad for her yesterday. I can't remember if I mentioned this, but she was interviewing on stage. This is like a, a British baroness. She's, you know, the elite of the elite, I guess. And she was interviewing Willie Robertson and Corey Robertson from the American show Duck Dynasty. And I was watching this feeling like she had never heard about them until five minutes before she was told she had to go on stage and interview them. It was a great contrast, this, you know, prim proper baroness sitting down with this uh, very bearded Duck Dynasty star from rural, I think they're Louisiana, if memory serves. And she was like talking about them, like having, you know, tried to really immerse herself in the wonders of rural America uh, to do a bang up job. And I said, where else but the ARC Forum are you going to see? a Baroness interview, the Duck Dynasty guys. So uh, that was a fun little takeaway from the program or yesterday for the ARC Forum. Uh, today, things have wrapped up entirely. The ARC Forum concluded after its third and final day. And uh, about, uh, what time is it right now? It's nine o'clock. So I think just uh, about five minutes from here, at the O2 Arena in London, Jordan Peterson is on stage with Douglas Murray doing kind of a public finale. They sold like 20,000 tickets for this thing. It's insane. A public component, a public finale to the ideas that have been discussed at the ARC Forum among the 1,500 invited folks there from 72 countries, of which I was very fortunate to be one. And one thing that was quite interesting here, I, I spent a bit of time on Monday kind of doing the contrast between the ARC Forum and its logical counterpart in some ways, the World Economic Forum. These are both global summits with leaders from various fields that are coming together to talk about ideas. And the key contrast between the two, I, I think, is that the ideas here at the ARC Forum are rooted in the value of the individual, the celebration of humanity and Western civilization. The ideas you hear about at the World Economic Forum are nihilistic and cynical and very anti-human and, and certainly anti-individual. And I think there's, generally speaking, a, a broader understanding of that here. It was a very optimistic place. Now, politics has not been an optimistic place in the last few years, and I would say for good reason. We've had some of the most uh, incredible, incredible incursions on our civil liberties, not just our own bodily autonomy, but our freedom of speech, our, our freedom of movement. And politics has become a lot more reactive as a result. So I worried that everyone coming together would kind of be more grievance-oriented in their way. And I, I was quite pleased, and I will say pleasantly surprised, to see that was not the case. There was a message of 
hope. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't some skeptics among us. I had a few little uh, snide conversations on the sidelines. Not snide, I should say, but a few more, I'll say, cynical conversations on the sidelines with people. But uh, of all the backgrounds we saw, people from the US, the UK, Canada, Spain, Germany, Austria, Australia, people from media, people from politics, all of this, uh, people had their own approaches, their own backgrounds, their own challenges. There was one common thread that I saw in almost everyone there, which was a rejection of wokeness and a rejection of wokeism. That, to me, is so key here. And I, I think there's actually a fair bit of hope in all of that, that uh, you can bring together so many people from around the world, and everyone says, all right, we may disagree on this policy or that policy. You may be from the British House of Lords, and I may be from Duck Dynasty, but surely we can all agree we don't want wokeness. Now, what is wokeness? Well, you ask some different people, you're going to get different answers. Uh, one of the things that I will point out, though, is that there was a, a rejection of this idea that children should be taught just untenable things about the world, which are simply not true. Like, oh, I don't know, there are 47 genders instead of two biological sexes. That uh, parents are not the ones that should be responsible for their children's education. That uh, we should allow grievance and microaggressions to govern speech and discourse rather than uh, just allowing humans to govern themselves and be civil, and if they're offended, to just not want the state's intervention. I mean, these are all very anti-woke values, which shouldn't be left versus right, but have increasingly been so. And I had a number of conversations where I wasn't even intending to set out down this road, uh, and one of them I did, and that was with James Lindsay, who you may know from X, or uh, Twitter as we used to call it back in the day, by which I mean like two weeks ago. Uh, James Lindsay, who goes by Conceptual James on on Twitter and actually was uh, speaking to a very large crowd in Alberta a few weeks ago. And I was uh, trying to get him on the show then and we just weren't able to work it out time-wise. But I sat down with James Lindsay and I, I wanted to talk about wokeness in that proper context here, where it comes from, and more importantly, what on earth we do about it. Not sure if you can distill this big question down into a simple soundbite answer, but I'll, I'll give you a, an opportunity to do so. Where does wokeness come from? hell uh no uh, it's the evolution of marxist thought into the western context the western context is not suited to an economic marxism because the western world with its you know access to liberty and markets has enabled upward mobile mobility economically so it's very hard to say that the worker is intrinsically oppressed and motivate a workers party when the worker can look at his buddy who said well they'll just work harder and you'll get you can move up and you can start your own company if you want and everything. And so they had to modify it in thought. You see this in the 60s. They say that we have to move from working, the working class as our base for revolution and into identity politics. We have to look for a new basis for this energy because the West wasn't suitable to it. So that's where it comes from. The oppressor-oppressed dynamic makes for some very weird and inconsistent positions. I, I mean, you were just in Canada recently. You know that uh, you know Muslim families were leading the charge on the uh, parental rights battles, uh, kind of getting gender ideology out of schools. You fast forward a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden now uh, Muslims are are the oppressor or the oppressed group instead of the the oppressor. If you talk to some of the people on the left, and and the people on the left don't seem interested in trying to reconcile these inconsistencies. Yeah, that's because this oppressor oppressed thing 
is a useful kind of naming heuristic. But what really it is, is the people and groups and situations that are advancing leftism are good. And the situations and circumstances and groups that are hindering leftism are bad. This is explicit, and I think this is a Maoist project. Woke is a Maoist project, come to the West. Uh, Mao actually says, and he gave a, a lecture in 1957, a public speech, on the correct handling of contradictions among the people. And he says immediately, well, who are the people and who are the enemies of the people? Let's distinguish. And he says very clearly, the people who are advancing the cause of building socialism are the people. The people who are hindering the cause of building socialism are the enemies of the people. So it's very clear. That which they can use to advance leftist agendas, oppressed. That which they can't use or that's stopping them from advancing, oppressor, bad, destroy. People on the right oftentimes want to deal with this by going after the institutions that tend to give the wokest their support. Is that the right approach? Where do you think the, the way in is to start pushing back against this? I mean, there's so, they've infiltrated so thoroughly that it's very difficult. Uh, we do need to start working our way back toward reclaiming which institutions we can. That's going to happen through personnel. In other words, firing woke people when they abuse their positions and power, which they are want to do eventually, um, and replacing them with people who are not woke, and having policies arranged to push in that direction or push back in that direction, and simultaneously through changing what I refer to kind of broadly as the liability field. What I just talked about, you're, it's a liability to get hired, it's a liability to keep your job, to be woke, blah, blah, blah. That's part of the liability field, but usually I'm talking about lawsuits um, where there are, are you know, discrete harms that are so egregious in a place like Canada, it's gotta be so egregious that the, that the courts can't ignore it. Uh, the US is a little more friendly to that. I also think, by the way, that the US and Canada, just a remark, should keep bouncing the energy against woke ping pong ball across the 48th parallel, because we're doing a great job motivating each other. I think we're, we're actually a wonderful pair for once. There is an anti-woke left. I'd say it's probably not as large as it should be. And a lot of the people in it tend to get typecast as being, you know, evil right wing racist Nazis and whatever. But is there a concern that that coalition among the anti-woke will be too thin to survive if you drill down and, you know, people who are in the trenches saying, yeah, we don't like wokeness, don't really agree on anything else? Um, the thing is that the anti-woke left is beholden to the power center of the left by virtue of the fact that they still commit to the left. And the power center of the left currently is woke. So they are caught between a rock and a hard place and, and sort of almost a black hole that either sucks them in or flings them completely out into, like you said, right wing uh, 